Hey, what's up, guys? Shravan Venkatraman here. In this Zen and Alpha podcast episode, we are talking to Cora Reddy. He's a fund manager at a US-based hedge fund, and he's a quantitative trader. His fund trades in the international equities and options markets, and uh, he's also founded a trading analytics website called Past Stat, and uh, he's written a couple of books on quantitative trading strategies for S&P 500 and Nifty 50, which is the benchmark index for Indian equities. In this conversation, we go over several quantitative trading-related topics, including strategy creation, filtering out strategies based on market conditions, intraday trading, and much more. Be ready for some popular beliefs to be challenged, though, because it's been an interesting conversation, and uh, even some of the insights that were discussed actually kind of uh, put me in a different perspective with respect to some beliefs that I already had. So this will be an interesting conversation to listen to. I have to confess that there are some audio quality issues here and there, but uh, overall you'll be able to understand what we're talking about based on the context. The conversation takes a little while to get going though, uh, the first 8 to 10 minutes, uh, but the last 30-40 minutes is brilliant, filled with a lot of wisdom nuggets that you can take away and actionably implement in your trading process. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. I was actually reading your book last week and... uh, I was curious actually, how did your interest in financial markets start? Because you were an EC student at NIT, uh, right? And thereafter you worked as a software engineer after graduation. So exactly where did the path diverge and you turn towards trading? Can you provide a backstory about that? Uh, Mostly like my interest is mostly into the little bit of numbers like math or statistics. So that's the reason I'm uh, a little attracted towards uh, these numbers and probabilities or whatever you call. So, Did you get started with financial markets and technical analysis while you were at your workplace or were you actively pursuing it well before that also? I was never a fan of technical analysis or anything. So my entry was mostly, I think I would say it's a, a lucky start or whatever because I had an experience in, uh, this is like way back in 2000 or 99. So okay. I had an experience in uh, this some uh, distributed computing technology called uh, Corbo in those days, right? So, and uh, one of the hedge fund wanted to do some software development in that work. Hmm. It's mostly back office or operational work. And that's my accidental entry. But I was not doing any trading or anything like that in the okay. front office, what they call, that's the terminology. And uh, just uh, because of that, I started doing on my own uh, analysis because you get exposed to, like, how do they do the systematic trading or whatever. Okay. And uh, from 2007 or 2009, that's when, uh, again, I got back into like a job approach or whatever. So from 2012 onwards, uh, yeah, I work in a, a basically a, a fund kind of stuff. So where I build trading models and then uh, we also manage the money like as we progress. Correct. We become fully managed kind of stuff. So how did you transition from being a software engineer to a fund manager? Did you have to go through any hurdles compliance wise or with respect to any regulatory setups? I mean, if you have to do on your own, you have to go through a lot of hurdles. But if, uh, what you call as a, have a, some background or some knowledge that you can show it to the funds, then uh, that would be the shorter way. Okay. So basically, this Pastat is a website that you started back in 2012, right? Uh, it was like my, uh, because as I, as I said, like I'm a software guy as well, right? So that's like my entrepreneurial activity, of course, which 
didn't take off um, because there was a competitor to that website called Insure. It is sold to S&P Global for about 600 million. So that was my dream too, but it didn't take Yeah, so. Yeah, so the past is basically, yeah. So it is like from my uh, trading experience or whatever. So we translated, we wanted to translate that into a, an analytic platform or a tool or something like that for the end users and whoever is into uh, the quantitative stuff. So they could use that uh, platform. And that was our idea. But somewhere we missed the track and uh, we couldn't monetize it properly. Got it. So the work that you do right now with respect to your fund management is related to this website called Options IQ, right? No, no, that's nothing to do. So the, the fund that I do is it's a little confidential and option. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, something because right now I think the Indian market is also looking for some sort of analytical tools or whatever, which was the case when we started this past in 2012. And uh, so this is uh, the completely uh, different businesses. Fund that I work is basically a US-based firm. Uh, it's uh, something called Stingray Capital. And uh, uh, we trade across the, the globe, basically the US uh, uh, listed uh, futures or whatever on the Globex uh, trading platform, right? Starting from your S&P futures. Okay. And in the Indian market, we prefer trading uh, options because that's where the liquidity and depth is, especially the uh, the Nifty and Bank Nifty options. You were trading predominantly Bank Nifty in the Indian market, right? And Nifty as well, yeah, the Nifty options. Okay, is this because liquidity-wise, Bank Nifty is the most traded instrument in Asia? In the whole world, right now, it has overtaken, especially uh, after 2019 numbers. Okay. It is the largest traded current bank. Uh, it was high between Euro dollar and uh, in this Chinese high-end future about uh, And then Nifty is the, the most liquid contract. So that's one of the reasons trade. Uh, okay. Uh, what kind of trading do you do with respect to Nifty and Bank Nifty in the Indian market? We trade. Uh, okay. So, I mean, it doesn't uh, really matter. Like whatever the instrument that we select, uh, we trade on uh, various time frames. So the time frames could be ranging from... Uh, a lower time frame bar, like 30 minutes or whatever, and then uh, or a daily bar or in a weekly bar. So most of the times our uh, holding period is anywhere between uh, one to five days. Uh, that's the maximum, uh, especially in a short-term trading uh, strategies or whatever. And uh, we also build a long-term portfolio and that is just for uh, indexing purposes because the whole idea is it's not that your trading strategy, whatever you design, is going to perform um, well into the future itself. So it might break down uh, or it may continue to perform or it may continue to perform as you expected, which uh, nobody knows in advance. So that's one of the reasons we built a, a little uh, long-term indexing uh, uh, portfolio. And uh, that is basically for you to guard against uh, your own trading strategy failure, which might happen in future. That's interesting. But how do you recognize that a particular strategy or trading is no longer working or uh, is no longer performing as expected? So you have, uh, like, you have, a, like, let's say, I mean, 
a few okay. trading strategies like trading strategy one and trading strategy two and uh, whatever like so the trading strategy in the past uh, if over a hundred trades the expectation is like let's say 20 points in bank nifty or about five points in the futures now started trading and uh, you did like about 50 trades into the future and then uh, your expectation was five points so it's okay if you make like four or six points but if you're just making like two points your profit factor or your overall equity curve would have already worsened um, my another point is it's very very easy to develop trading strategies uh, because i mean it's just like you spend like a couple of days you can pick up some uh, ideas and then build your own trading strategies uh, yeah but uh, killing ruthlessly avoiding or like in the trading strategies is what you should find a way to do it i mean the way to do it is yeah i mean like your uh, expectancy whatever is in the past if it is not matching again it's not a simple answer because nobody has an answer for that uh, particular question when you want to uh, stop a trading strategy so but basically if you look at a, your own uh, parameter uh, criteria like like you selected a system at least should have a profit factor of 2 now after 50 trades it has fallen to 1 and 1/2 or 1.8 so that you it doesn't meet your own criteria now so you stop it or let's say the another way to stop it is okay you had a, a maximum drawdown expectation of 15% or 10% whatever that system in the historical now into the future it's already experiencing a drawdown of 15% or 20% so yeah i mean dump that system and look for some other system so Okay, you must have used several strategies so far in the market. How frequently have you had to retire strategies? I mean, is it getting very competitive to find strategies that work in the current market, or is it still relatively easier to find strategies that have an edge? We just give them one cycle. Uh, the cycle is, I mean, you could take any. I mean, basically, the whole idea is market moves in. It doesn't move in one direction all the time, right? So it goes up and down. Okay. So your cycle. Uh, could be i mean at a simplistic level let's say uh, you know you, you take simple moving averages like 20 day moving average cycle uh, so today now let's say you crossed about 20 day moving average so it goes up goes up 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 and then starts falling down and then again it completes that cycle right like couple of moving averages crossovers in 20 day or any cycle like that or let's say you take 20 day high or 20 day lows something like once the market starts hitting 20 day high it keeps in a few more 20 day high i mean how many more nobody knows but at least it keeps getting a few 20 day highs and vice versa also so now this whole 20 day high and 20 day low so it's like one cycle completion it could take like 3 months or it could take 6 months or whatever so preferably your trading strategy should have gone through in cycle like that you define it could be 20 day moving average it could be a series of 20 day high details and things or maybe like a say starting point of 10000 if started and then it would have experienced like a 10% up and 10% down or something like that so once you complete that cycle then you evaluate uh, your pattern so like what they performing like uh, same as before uh, this cycle or not so your review process yeah it's not a, a time you could also do a time bound like once in 3 months you keep reviewing but the whole disadvantage is um, 
yeah sometimes uh, just like nifty or snp keeps going in one direction so if you do a time bound you may not be giving justice to uh, do like an up cycle or down cycle or whatever you put down makes sense uh by the way uh, one of the things that i read in your book was that you do not use volume as part of your trading strategies is there a specific reason why you do not use volume at all and why you don't take volume into account i think the, the context for the different uh, 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 where i've written in that book uh, i don't really remember that context yeah but it's you use volume or you doesn't use volume but yeah you might want to incorporate volume as well so okay i was particularly fascinated by the sheer number of strategies in your book how do you come up with these strategies though a lot of them were price based uh, as you mentioned the strategy now where when an instrument hits the 20 day moving average and crosses the 20 day highs the instrument hits more highs in the market mm-hmm. right how do you come up with such strategies is it purely by market observation just by observing the market every day or do you have a systematic approach to that there is enough of literature on the web which you can pick it up right so it's not like so the whole thing is yeah you just uh, search uh, what is uh, there is this website called uh, quantocracy or ssrn so quantocracy is basically it's a rss reader so it picks up from uh, 50 or 100 blocks various blocks so you just go and read once you read they basically make statements right so any of this quantitative blocks okay price is at 20 day high or price is about 20 day moving average and today market went down market went up by 1% or 1% down things like that so now once you read that then it's all being creative like okay can i tweak this uh, particular strategy which i read somewhere uh, and uh, keep testing uh, yeah so that's how you Uh, he would have said that 20 day moving average now instead of 20 day moving average you can change it to 50 day moving average or 100 day moving average and then some guy would have said like a price is up by 1% today so now yeah you can also do like price down by 1% or price up by 2% i mean like once you have a, an idea from somewhere you read it's all like tweaking that in your own uh, creative way so that's how uh, testing and then if something comes uh interesting to you yeah so that becomes your at least which you can put in a paper trading mode i mean before you uh deploy it this is quite interesting a couple of twitter followers also had asked a question along the same lines uh, of the idea you suggested here like when you come up mm. with ideas like these how do you avoid curve fitting We usually back test ideas right but when you suggest say instead of a 1% up or 1% down days try switching it up and test for 2% up or 2% down days or something like that when you keep modifying the basic strategy by changing or adding parameters how do you avoid curve fitting while back testing so this whole curve fitting is basically uh, the uh, what you call so your strategy basically is nothing but a a bunch of uh, lines of code it is something like uh, today close is greater than yesterday's close so that is one line and then you put something else like today price is greater than some moving averages like 20 day moving average and then and then and then you keep putting uh, lots of funds that becomes 
a curve fitting so where it is a curve fitting yeah my simple thumb rule would be your code shouldn't be more than three or four i won't say one four lines but yeah i would select three lines and beyond three lines uh, you are entering to curve fitting mode or just take for an example something like uh, i don't remember but i think uh, whatever i remember i'll tell you so uh, let's say you tested something called bank nifty uh, closes above upper ballinger band okay right most of the times when it is upper above upper ballinger band uh, it might be hitting a uh, 20 day high as well so let's say our upper ballinger band close above in the last 4 uh, years there were like 50 trades and it's a good trade in the sense like uh, 50 trades let's say an example of 35 winning trades so it meets all your criteria right so that's a single line of code now you also write a second line of code which is like bank nifty is closing at 20 day high right so you also get uh, let's say 55 trades now there is this 50 and 55 trades right so now because you are observing there is like interlap of five trades there is a interlap of some trades and then you remove them or you add them this that then you came up uh, come up with a rule like bank nifty about 20 day moving so uh, bank nifty hitting 20 day high but it's not closing above or not uh, closing above upper ballinger band or you will put and not all these things right so just to avoid those three four and that's why and like when you are going to that approach as a system designer you know that you are cheating because you are like trying to avoid um, those three four bad trades by putting some more condition like now again you add another column just looking at um, what you call it uh, maybe like uh, just say 200 demo average right if we add you might weed out another two three bad trades so now you basically were adding bunch of lines of code uh, to weed out those bad trades so that's you yourself now you are basically uh, cheating with your own system designing so that's what uh, you are entering into curve fitting mode so the moment you are putting uh, more and more and uh, and statements into your code so you are entering into that curve fitting part okay the other way to do is as i said like nobody can give you answer right like how you approached so you said uh, yeah i took 100 demo in average so did you take 100 day moving average at the first uh, step as a starting point or did you try with 20 didn't work did you try with 30 didn't work did you try with 300 200 day moving average didn't work so now finally you settled at 100 day moving average right? okay so the whole trial the four or five and nobody tells you uh, where they started and where they ended so like unless otherwise you are uh, what is that presented with the full facts you don't know whether it's a curve fitting or not okay those facts you only know because i don't know where i started right so i would have started at 20 day moving average and then would have uh, gone to 30 would have gone to 40 and then nothing worked so i ended up at 100 but i didn't tell you this whole procedure so that whole thing is uh, again so like curve fitting kind of stuff okay having said I mean, the simple thing is uh, how it is not curve fitted. Okay, so uh, look at the fast five uh, five years and look at your strategy. Is it evenly distributed across the yearly returns? Because it's very hard to curve fit uh, if you put that criteria. Let's say you are capturing Bank Nifty a thousand points in last four years by some trading strategy, right? So 
that means you should get approximately about 200 plus or minus points in the last four years so if it is only for one year like giving like 800 points in one year and the rest of the years is 50 50 something like that or another way is uh, the number of trade sources would be evenly distributed because you take any year um, generally there will be like 53% or 55% of up days and uh, 47 or 45% of down days i mean if you don't do anything that's what your statistics in any year and if you take a 10 year period in nifty you only get like two down years and eight up years or like one down year and uh, four up years now your strategy also should at least be in line with that so now you have like uh, last five years data so one year uh, is down or four years is up yeah that's okay but it's only up in one year and not uh, uh, positive another four years right so that means there's something wrong with your trading system got it and let's say you get uh, 50 trades right uh, that means uh, you should at least be getting 10 trades evenly across each year so if it is getting like 40 trades in one year and then only two and three trades in other years then there is something wrong with your system as well so you see that uh, you have like uh, what do you call it even it's uh, you won't get exactly but you you know what i'm talking right so yeah. there is no difference between 10 and 8 or 10 and 12 or 8 and 9 something like that but if you say one and uh, then there is a 30 in other year the number of trades then there is something wrong with your system so yeah i mean like looking at the results also you can say uh, yeah whether this is like purely i mean like curve fitted or not yeah by looking at those uh, yeah the number of trades or yeah. okay okay when you backtest ideas for bank nifty or nifty let's hmm. say you have a an idea regarding a couple of option spreads or uh, some directional option strategy do you usually backtest your idea with options data or do you use spot or futures data for backtesting you have to test on uh, what you are trading so if you are trading options so you test on options data so do you get access to options data yeah you do have the options data vendor benefit yeah. which vendor do you prefer for the options data in the indian market Mm-hmm. I don't know actually so I don't know in the sense we use uh, uh, I mean at least I mean my data vendor is Bloomberg so I get the data from Bloomberg. but there might be quite a few uh, data vendors who can do it I mean or anyway NS India gives you the free data at least uh, on a daily bar level so yeah. daily bar is sufficient I mean if you want the options daily data so nsc anyway gives you so you download them and then you build your own options database okay got it and looking at a minute database then yeah you have to go through a data vendor vendors then yeah so then there is a uh, how clean is the data uh, so all those things comes in but i think yeah so because our uh, trades predominantly are uh, um, and a little longer horizon also longer horizon i mean i mean what i mean is like one day to five day holding okay. period yeah so whatever the instrument that you are trading you have to test on it so if you are trading on a spot which you cannot do because uh, it's expensive in the sense getting in and out of from uh, uh, 
nifty spot index which is like you can create your own nifty basket whatever is the weight and so you can trade one lakh worth of nifty by putting 10 percent into reliance this that and uh, or you can do a nifty etf but again there is a uh, uh, whether uh, he's actually keeping uh, the etf versus spot again whether the etf guy is in line with the current uh, nifty weight level or not so there's a that particular doubt will come so the whole thing is, yeah, if you want to trade spot, you test on spot. If you want to trade futures, you have to test on futures. If you're trading on options, you test on your options. When you test on futures, uh, do you also take into account uh, the rollover factor? I mean, uh, do you test on month-over-month data or do you somehow smoothen the data and test on continuous futures data? Uh, there are like uh, quite a bit of... Uh, continuous contract construction methods, right? So. Yeah. When do you roll over? So do you roll over on uh, option expiry day or first day of option expiry or five days before option expiry? Because that's where people start uh, switching into the new expiry. Correct. And then uh, how do you do the adjustment? Because when you roll over, basically your nifty features are bad nifty features. Generally, the theoretical price is basically spot plus interest rate minus dividends. Okay, dividends are taken care of. Now, spot plus uh, interest rate, which is like 5% or 6%. So, generally, your difference would be 30, not 30, about Nifty is trading at 10,000. So, generally, a 50-point premium is what you get. So, now, how do you adjust? Do you adjust it across the month or do you adjust it only for that five days? So, you there are like uh, quite a few adjustment methods like uh, you can... The last time that I read and collected, there are at least about eight to 10 uh, various adjustment methods on a, how do you build a continuous contract? The one that I prefer is, uh, I just give a weightage of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 20, 20, 80, 40, 60, and then 60, 40, and then 80, 20, and then 100, zero. So what it means is, on the last day of the expiry, you would have completely gotten into a new price. A prior day, you would give 80% weightage uh, to the back month contract and 20% is weightage to the front month contract because that's anyway is getting expired. Now, five days before, you give 80% uh, uh, weightage to the front month contract because that is still active and 20% weightage to the back month feature. So, your jump is not so uh, uh, high. I mean, like uh, on any day, if you just take uh, a nifty feature and then just, uh, uh, what you call as a uh, trade either the back month or the front month and uh, immediately exit. I mean, exit within the one minute, your slippage is hardly like one or two points. I mean, basically, yeah, the slippage is your bid or spread, which is like two points. So you lose two points on front month contract and on back month contract, you may lose extra. So, I mean, I use that smoothening method when I doing the futures adjustment. Yeah. I mean, not like a 50 point jump and doing, uh, because uh, let's say on 10th of August, like 15th, uh, now we are on 17th of August, right? So, which is like uh, 10 days away for expiry. So, what is the interest for me to look into even back month contract because I still can exit in and out even though, because I know my exit periods, right? So I won't be holding for more than five days. So yeah, the other methods like GAN method or 
the ratio adjusted method or these things right so they don't really they don't uh, help uh, in uh, this minute point because you only try to roll over when you get into closer to the expiry otherwise and again your uh, time frame right so my time frame is maximum 5 5 days so yeah i, I get into that roll over business only when i go into the last 5 days okay when it comes down to options trading at your firm do you trade in a completely hedged manner or do you mm-hmm. take directional trades also i don't be- i don't believe in hedging because hedging is your cost to the business correct so uh, again the hedging is uh, uh, what is that you are trying to hedge you are trying to hedge because uh, you have a fear of market going down or your trade is going against you yes they do go against you now let's say every month you have a fear of 10% fall in nifty right okay uh, so i i don't want to lose more than 10% if i'm holding a nifty whatever nifty contract one future contract or Uh, one whole cash contract which is worth of eight lakhs notional. Uh, you know, if you have to hedge that, okay, if you have a fear of ten percent market fall, you basically have to buy a put, and that put is uh, your whole additional cost to the whole business. So, like once in a ten years, you will be saved from that uh, uh, the big down event or whatever. But the rest of the years, it's a cost cost to your business, and it will eat up into your Uh, overall expectancy of the system so i don't um, believe in hedging uh, because it's a expense to your uh, uh, business so in the different strategies that you trade you basically use a fixed or a moving target and a proper stop loss and you you just let the trade take its course right there's no stop loss again i don't believe in stop loss okay I- any reason why you don't believe in a stop loss in any most of the cases you can uh, there are like two things one is at a lower uh, volume or a lower capital base yes you think capital stop loss is going to save you that's on a theoretical level uh, but again so uh, the whole point is yes you can optimize the stop loss level that is one point the second point is uh, now you test your trading strategy without stop loss and with stop loss so there won't be much difference i mean it's like only one or two trades which gets uh, saved you from that stop loss level otherwise there's another problem so now as your uh, trade size becomes bigger now let's say today's uh, i don't know what is today's nifty futures high or low Um, Nifty futures today was around eleven thousand one fifty five low, and uh, high was around eleven thousand two eighty five. Yeah, eleven ninety nine. So it so happens now. Let's say uh, it's a twelve one sixty, right? So now the low point of the day is one fifty five. Now at one fifty five, you probably uh, the entire uh, number of contracts. Would have traded might be like fifty or twenty or ten. I mean, it would be a very low number, right? Okay. Now let's say we're holding hundred contracts. So, where do you think our stop loss is going to hit? It's not one fifty-five. It is somewhere else. Or uh, your ten contracts gets filled and ninety you are still uh, holding them. So you think 
just by looking at a historical data, yeah, my stop loss would have triggered this and all. And on top of it, the second is uh, if uh, any, I mean, 100 lot level uh, shown as a market order, it's not going to execute at 155, it'll execute somewhere at 140 or wherever. So your uh, stop loss which you arrived from the historical data is all uh, useless because that's not the I mean, market is not going to be so favorable to you in executing your stop losses. So uh, that's one of the reason uh, I don't use stop loss, neither I advocate them. Okay. What is your uh, primary risk management criteria then? I mean, how do you manage your risk? The risk is when your size becomes uh, uh, too high and you are not able to... Uh, Handle, I mean, like handle in the sense, like let's, uh, let's say, I mean, most of the people think, okay, 2% down day, I might lose something, something. So how much is your leverage? So if your leverage is proper, like something like two is what I advocate, or maybe as your size goes bigger and bigger, you have to, you should be reducing that to one and off. You mean 2x leverage? I mean, like, uh, see a yeah, bank nifty in March uh, 2000, it has fallen 40% uh, in a month. Okay. What it means is if you're operating at two and a half X leverage, you are bust, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, assume you just bought a one nifty contract, one bank nifty contract for fun and you don't want to uh, exit and you want your holding period is 20 days, right? Which is month to month. Uh, so a 40% fall, which is basically translates to one of X. So at a, if you're using two and a half X leverage, you are gone bust. So, and that's simple. Even in Nifty also, there are like, uh, there are three months in historical data where Nifty has fallen more than 25-30%. Something like that, 25% in October 2008 okay. or in uh, recent March, it has fallen like something 20%, right? So any forex hmm. leverage, you are bust. So that's the reason I said like 2 or 2x is whatever maximum uh, leverage that you would employ if you're operating only on a single uh, contract. I mean like only single instrument. Now, if you are diversified into little bit into bonds and little bit into some other thing, then yeah, probably you might increase. But I would say, I mean, like at an overall portfolio level, anything beyond 2%, you will you are bound to go bust or you are uh, that fear of uh, uh, a big down day or big up day, whatever. So, yeah, I would say you basically control your entire uh, uh, trading game via your leverage. So what is that optimal leverage? I would say 2x at a smaller trade account size. And if your account size is bigger and bigger, reduce it to one and a half x leverage or something like that. This is at a portfolio level, right? Yeah. But on a per trade basis, how do you manage risk? I mean, at what point do you know that the trade has failed and uh, that you have to get out? Yes, sir, I don't... See, the whole backtesting, what you have done, you have done uh, based on a fixed time exit. Or, uh, as I don't put stop loss, okay, that's fine. Okay, but now let's say you've designed your system on a stop loss level, all on a uh, fixed exit. So you wait for that. Why do you want to poke the trade in between? So you know your historical tests are giving you uh, some 20-point expectation. So how they gave you 20-point? Because your holding period is entry at time, uh, some time and exit at some time or 
exit in between if there is a condition uh, like a stop loss. I mean, for me, stop loss is I don't put. Okay, that's fine. So now, any of these conditions met, yeah, you either stick to those conditions or exit when those things are there. So there's not, not nothing like you monitor each and every trade individually. This, I mean, that's like your micromanagement. That's where uh, you are wasting too much of your energy into watching the screen and working the trade and messing up the whole system and this time. So, I mean, I, I don't do it as well, neither at individual trade level management. So if my exit is, uh, yeah, so entry is at uh, close of today and exit is uh, close of tomorrow. So you wait till 325 because that's where your exit right? So. Okay. So you're using time-based stops. So if your waiting period is like five days for a trade to play out based on your back test and uh, five days are over and you're still in the trade, you will exit on the sixth day, right? Yeah. Okay. This makes sense. In your back tests, this time-based stop has worked better than a fixed price stop? It's not a time-based stop. It is based on a time-based exit. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, exits are time-based. Okay. It's a 98% of the time. But the 1% where you override is, let's say, by chance, you are long today. And tomorrow morning, okay. favorable news has come. Uh, and uh, like market jumped 1%. So you might want to take off something off the table because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you that's like sometimes, yeah, it, it's always a little nicer to book profits or whatever, but otherwise, yeah, I would say whatever is your system design parameters, yeah, you stick to that. So, in my most of the systems, it's uh, entry at certain time, exit at certain time, so it's like one day period, or is it 30 minutes, or is it five days? So, you stick to that. Okay, uh, when you come up with a system, uh, what are the predominant parameters you think should be used to qualify that a system is acceptable enough to trade, apart from profit expectancy, I mean? One is your profit factor. Uh, what <laughs> it means is dollars you are winning for your dollars losing. So that has to be more than one. Because if it is one, you are paying brokerage. Correct. Uh, so now is that number is 1.5 good enough or 2 is good enough? You have to, each guy has his own rational. So now... My preference there is like if your uh, historical trades are less in number. So what do I mean by less? Anything in between 25 to 15 uh, number of trades is a less. So there it has to be at least more than two. Now your historical trades are high, like something closer to 100 plus. And then you might be a little lenient because anyway you are placing 100 trades. That means one in 10 days. Uh, uh, something like that. Like I'm comparing the last thousand days as my back test period, right? Okay. So if your trade sample size is more, then you'll be a little lenient on profit factor. But again, how much leniency you can be like maybe 1.5, 1.8, something like that. Now then uh, you basically also uh, look at whether the whole uh, trading strategy itself is statistically significant or not. So you use some statistical parameter it could be a t test and then converting that into a p value uh, so basically yeah i emphasize that p value so it has to be statistically significant otherwise uh, factor also can lie to you because just like one or two big trades here and there, they might give you uh, a different picture so i look at a p value as one of the more stringent criteria 
then you also look at uh, what else like is it profitable across all the years which you are testing or at least four out of five years and is the profit uh, the number of points that you are making is it evenly distributed across the years and then there is a maximum drawdown so now maximum drawdown is okay your trading system has uh, let's say 10 percent uh, returns and 20% uh, drawdown, right? So that is like 10 by 2, which is 1 by 2 number. Now this 1 by 2, you go and compare with, uh, instead of me doing all this gym mix, if I just gone uh, with the buy and hold, what would have been my uh, return, my return divided by MDD, which is like common ratio or something other people talk. Uh, okay. Now it has to be better than buy and hold system. Otherwise, I rather just buy and hold uh, Nifty of bank. Uh, so you uh, give emphasis to um, uh, your calmer ratio, right? And then uh, you also could do a comparison between uh, a sharp of your uh, trading strategy to buy and hold. So if it, is, it has to be better than buy and hold, otherwise you rather buy buy and hold, right? So why do you want to design and break your head in designing all the system? So these are some of the uh, parameters. So it's not only the uh, profit expectation, yeah, but you look whether it's really the whole trading strategy itself is a statistically significant or not. And uh, comma ratio things. And then there is a, a drawdown recovery period, right? So each trading strategy has to go through a drawdown and come out. Whether it may come out or not, we don't know, but at least in historical backtests, we we'll get to know somehow that's a uh, that's a choice so the choice is like a 10 turn uh, and 20 percent drawdown and your recovery time is one year now there's a second system which is five percent uh, so, um, yeah percent returns uh, but 10 drawdown but recovery time is two years so now which one you prefer so you uh, cannot wait for two years, right? So even though one uh, year system with a higher drawdown, it comes out better. So, and again, so this is like, if you have like multiple trading strategies to compare. Now, if you have, if you don't have anything, com anything to compare, you are only comparing your individual strategy, you compare with the benchmark. Okay, so if you have multiple strategies, you look at which one has a better drawdown to returns uh, ratio, returns ratio mm -hmm. and which one is getting out of the drawdown faster. Based on that, you have to take a decision. Yeah. If you have only one strategy, you compare with the benchmark and decide, right? That's, yeah, again, depends on individual preference also, right? So I can say it's all numbers. I can say 30% drawdown, but uh, there are some individuals who don't uh, really react anything at a 30% drawdown level, but there are some individuals who react or who get panicky even at a 5% drawdown. Correct. So you know your own uh, risk uh, or your risk-taking ability or risk profile or whatever you prefer. Okay, when you look at these kind of systems, how do you exactly measure the slippage that you get in real time? I mean, slippage from the bid-ask spread or the regular market price slippage, how do you exactly measure it? Yeah, so when you trade, uh, like let's say your expectancy is 100, uh, sorry, 20 points, right? Okay. And that means you are entering at 10,000 uh, nifty today and exiting at 10,025 or some number, right? Yeah. So you induce a... Uh, within your, in your backtest 
report itself when you send your parameters. So entry today close is at 10,000 Nifty. Exit is at 10,050 tomorrow. Like that is your one trade. So instead of sending entry as 10,000, you put some slippage factors. So how do you measure that slippage again? So we'll have in our own historical trade. So generally it is around one and a half point or two points for Nifty. So instead of entry at 10,000, you are buying. So now your entry, you make it as 10,002 and you are selling at 10,050. Now there again, like one and a half or two points slippage comes. So you mark your exit as uh, instead of 10,050, you mark that as 10,048. So that's what your actual result. So you induce some slippage in your backtesting report itself. And then again, uh, translate. So usually for options data, it is around, uh, uh, depends again on which day you are doing all this. So on uh, uh, expiry day, uh, there's not much bid um, spread. Um, so on a prior to expiry day, generally it is somewhere between uh, two to three points and a bank nifty. Okay. So you put that into your back test report and then recalculate all the parameters. Okay. After putting together these slippage related calculations, you decide whether the system is making enough points per trade to, for it to be a worthy system to trade, right? Uh, yeah. Correct. So if I design a system which has only five point expectation, right? Mm. Most of your three leg, four leg, five leg option strategies all have only five or six point system expectation. So that is what you would be paying as a brokerage and on a slippage. Yeah, the slippage is okay. The only thing is it doesn't affect you much on an expiry day because there's no slippage in during that. Uh, weekly expiry day because there is enough of volume and of course there is a slippage i'm not saying zero slippage but slippage is a, uh, what you call as a least bothering factor there are so many other factors that comes in uh, into trading on that expiry day correct and uh, this happens only in your uh, nifty and uh, bank nifty feature sign but if you go into us market there is no slippage in snp feature the slippage is only the 0.25 the least minimal tick or the lowest uh, value that gets traded. Okay. Okay. You mentioned that there is relatively lesser slippage in S&P 500 derivatives. Why do you think that's the case though? Because as you said, Bank Nifty is the most traded and most liquid instrument in the world right now. By that virtue, it should also have relatively lesser slippage, right? Nothing. That's how the contract size was designed or whatever. So. Okay. Like, how many Nifty contracts get traded on a bid price? Hardly like five times, right? Yeah. Whereas in uh, US, uh, your book depth will be always like 200 or 300 contracts on this side and 200, 300 contracts on the last side. Uh, so, mm, yeah, I mean, that's in SP contracts, yeah, the slippage is up to 100 contracts. Uh, you would assume there won't be much slippage. The slippage is only the bid ask spread. Okay. Uh, in your systems, do you also use trend following strategies as part of your strategy playbook? There's, no, I don't categorize like that. So all that my system, there's no trend following in the version. Uh, this, that. So all that is uh, uh, yeah, based on your historical results. So is it performing? Uh, does it have a positive expense? As per your criteria. So I don't categorize Either it's a trend following or mean reverting. So you basically need to have a bunch of various strategies also 
because this whole trend following is not working in us for the last 15 years correct uh, whereas a little bit of momentum strategies are working in india mm. now turn around so the same thing is with value and growth so uh value was outperforming till 2000 from 2000 so now again the tides can turn around so it's not like you if you have only one trading strategy and you are against other trading strategy you need a basket of uh, uh, multiple trading strategies like that because you never know when the uh, uh, this whole thing is change the game got it uh, when you have multiple trading strategies how do you manage the situations where two strategies come up with trades that cancel each other out anyway it's cancelling each other right so you don't take the trade like even if trade like a trade one system is telling go long other system is telling go short now anyway it goes and cancels out so you don't take the trades so or you even if you take the trade your net profit is only zero And of course net profit is minus progress blah blah whatever but otherwise at a uh, expected level uh, both of them will come out uh, like one will come out with 100 points profit and other one will come out with 100 point loss so it's basically zero so instead of that you don't take the trade when you have a conflict in signal okay but when the time frame of the trades is different uh, like one of the trades says you hold it for 5 days and another trade says you hold it for 10 days how do you manage let's uh, say yeah that's uh, like let's say trade a is telling uh, go long now and exit after uh, two days or like in a different time frame or whatever okay and b is telling uh, go short so now it's a very easy answer so you wait for one signal to fail or one signal to win and you take the failed signal okay the signal a would have uh, exited signal a long um, anyway it has come out now right so if it uh, uh, like a holding period of one day for signal a now signal b holding period of two days and both of them are conflicting or whatever you could call uh, now signal a because it's a faster exit because it's exiting at one day you will have the answer to the question now later right of the question so do that second trade and uh, whatever is uh, makes sense Uh, now when you're trading uh, do you take the trades manually or have you completely automated the trading execution process uh, it's a semi automated i would say like 90% is automated okay 1% is the discretion so okay as you said uh, beyond 100 lots uh, how important is automation i mean when you get to the level of 100 lots and above without automation can you still play the same way as the automated players no no you have to use a little bit of automation because you have to execute that order in a mm, you can't execute 100 lots by sell nifty right because it just uh, goes and uh, smashes the entire uh, book Correct. so i just uh, tell you what is the book close to Yeah, basically what I'm saying is, yeah, if uh, you just say buy a hundred Nifty contracts, you probably are inducing uh, your own slippage is five to six points. Forget about uh, what the market is because you are going and clearing the entire book. So you have to slice that order into chunks. Mm, so that's where uh, this automated 
execution comes into picture. So you don't execute all this hundred lots at one go. You give them thirty seconds time frame. So within thirty seconds, each second hundred divided by thirty, which is three lots. So you enter three lots. Now do you want to execute at market order or as a limited order? Mm, then keep uh, taking the inventory. Like the first second, your three lots won't be executed at market. I mean, everything gets executed at market price, but now if you put limit order like in between price, right? So out of three contracts, only one might have executed. So the next second, you add these two contracts. So three plus two, five is what you execute. Now again, you may not be able to execute. So now again, you execute some on market order. So that that logic is what uh, some logic like that you. Right, and then optimize it. So instead of executing hundred lots at one go, you execute at a different time frames, like in a slow fashion. Okay, so in a positional strategy, this wouldn't be a big deal because you won't have a big market move within that time frame, like a one day or a four hour time frame. But in an intraday trader, uh, when an intraday trader has to trade it, uh, say on a five minute or a ten minute time frame, this would be a difficult thing to achieve, right? Intraday, so, that's when. And if you issue and you can't trade on intraday, you cannot trade uh, except on expiry days, right? On non-expiry days, you cannot trade even fifty lots on an intraday, a five-minute one. Okay. There is no depth, so that's the reason I am not a big fan of intraday trading. Makes sense. And on top of intraday trading, once in a year, um, what happens is. Uh, It's not you who is controlling. It is some other idiot who is doing a flash order, market flash cross, or some other thing, right? So uh, you don't know what happens on that day. Suppose uh, what is this? Mm, what is that broker who gone bust in two thousand thirteen? Thirteen now. Two thousand thirteen or fourteen? One Indian broker has gone bust. So yeah, I'll tell you the example. So the whole Nifty. Market size on a cash market is about twenty thousand crores or something like that, and in a futures market it is about ten thousand plus or minus crores. So the whole thing, I'm, my point is, uh, we are looking at a number somewhere in the range of thirty thousand crores. This guy has sent a five hundred crore <coughs> market order of uh, Nifty cash market or something like that. That was the instant. So five hundred crore. Yeah, it's a big number from the outside, but from the market perspective, it's a very small number, right? So on an average day, you get about thirty thousand crore volume, and five hundred crore is five by three hundred, which is like very very small number, like two percent of the day's volume. Mm. And then that day, Nifty flash crashed thousand points. Wow! Because Iran is out. So now, on that Iran is out. You are doing your fifty lot business on a daily. Bar and I want to exit. There's no way you could have exited uh, at your uh, desired level or whatever. So you could have paid like probably 500 points lower than even for your 50 lots. Uh, so the whole profit that you made in uh, last one year or because on a again, if you go back and look on a five-minute bar, how much Nifty can move versus a, a total daily absolute. So an absolute move on a five-day bar. Five-minute bar, it would be somewhere in the range of ten points, whereas a absolute move on a daily bar would be a hundred points. So there is a capacity limitation as well. So to deploy your money in uh, intraday systems, 
Okay, uh, this broker who put an order for 500 crores, that caused a crash of 1000 points in Nifty? Yeah, you can read Nifty flash crash 2013 or 2014, whatever. Okay, I will... MK, MK, MK trading. MK trading. Okay, I uh, got it. This situation is what I have told you in a very, very big situation. Like this, you can keep uh, uh, reading. So you just read flash crash. You will find something in uh, US, you will find something again in India, Reliance fat finger, some other fat finger, this fat finger. And there's a, what do you call it? There's a one US firm, which was a market making firm. So, um, they lost their entire uh, profits which they made for five years for some small error of their own. So the whole thing is, yeah, this intraday game, yeah, it looks like easy, but from outside, uh, and there was this, uh, what do you call, four years back or five years back, something like that. There was a Swiss franc uh, flash crash, basically in uh, currency, the Swiss franc uh, got smashed about 30% or something like that in a, in a five minute span. So uh, the whole point is, yeah, this keeps happening and there's no way that anybody can prevent. And, uh, my whole point is, you are at a mercy of, not your system, you are at a mercy of some uh, some other idiot who is causing and it will wipe out in uh, uh, that particular day. Yeah, so when you set a stop loss market order for a trade in such a market condition, your stop loss order may or may not execute, right? Not may or may not execute, it won't be executed. It will be executed at the worst executed, uh, worst okay. possible point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. And, uh, I mean, on a, that's what I'm saying, on a 800, on a... 100 days, you think your stop loss is going to work on 80 and 90 days, yes, it works, but on a days like this, uh, even your intraday, you think you are in control of the system, but this whole mayhem happens in uh, 5 minutes or 10 minutes, so you don't know what you are going to do, you cannot do anything. So you will give back all the profits that you made in uh, last one year, two years or whatever, in one fateful day. Okay. And that fateful would be it's definitely not in our control it's somebody else's mistake so. okay when it comes down to options uh, do you also have strategies uh, i mean deploy strategies based on option spreads also we do uh, all sorts of strategies yes okay and the kind of strategies that you deploy that depends on the market condition and the market regime right so it's like we take each parameter and we test all the uh, possible option and trading strategies out there and then uh, whatever is the highest profit factor or uh, with the least volatility basically we have a ranking system and then we prefer to trade that particular uh, strategy on that day because that is what the market condition and that is what various if else if else conditions kind of stuff that we write okay uh, if i understand correctly from a portfolio of strategies that you have you will rank these strategies based on different parameters and uh, whichever strategy has a better profit factor or a group of strategies having better profit factors will be traded on that particular day, right? Not better profit factor, better uh, risk adjusted profit, which is basically we're looking at, you're not only giving importance to profit factor, you're also giving importance to other numbers like standard deviation or maximum drawdown or whatever. So. You basically give weightage not only to the returns, you also give some weightage to the 
uh, risk which is either in terms of standard deviation of the trades or maximum drawdown or things like that. And then you arrive at, um, see sometimes uh, you have a 50 point expectation system uh, with a drawdown of uh, 1000 points. So let's just say, I'm, I'm just giving an example. Okay. And then uh, you have a system which is 25 points, so which has only 200 points drawdown in the historical stock. So which one you prefer? And obviously, just because 50 is a big number, I cannot go because I know that that particular system had a thousand point drawdown. So I rather pick this little safer one. So it's just like it's not only score by returns, you also give uh, some weighted equal weighted to your risk as well. So your returns and risk, and then whichever comes on top of your trading strategy. So you pick that one. Understood. Uh, when you score different strategies, though, what kind of parameters do you use to score these strategies? It's basically risk and reward. So, what is the risk is nothing but uh, how we were trade. So, uh, their standard deviation is one measure of risk, or maximum drawdown is one measure of risk. Your returns are nothing but risk, uh, like how much profit expectation. Okay, it had a 50 point. Yeah, so. Just a simple. Uh, but how do you evaluate on a daily basis? You said you score the systems and decide which one to trade each day, right? Yeah, that is what the whole automated uh, business that you are doing, right? So that is what okay, you are okay. your infrastructure to uh, um, on your uh, either Excel sheets or Python or your own trading platform. So that's what your whole system design is. You basically go through parameters like what the volatility is, what the volume is, the range and the overall market direction and all. And uh, you also use other parameters to decide which ones to trade on that particular day, right? Yeah. Okay, Good. got it. Okay, I have a, a couple of questions from uh, Twitter followers. Uh, these questions are actually outside of trading. Uh, one of these questions actually fascinated me. You're a very calm and very well knowledgeable person in this area, but on Twitter, you are very eccentric and enigmatic uh, to a level that most people can't even understand your tweets all that much. Where does this personality divergence come from? Like, uh, uh, it's not that. So, you know, sometimes you basically I'm typing from my head, right? Okay. So, it's not like I want to type an academic article or something like that. So, sometimes, yeah, people may not understand. Yeah. The second thing is uh, once you start engaging in people say you do this you do that and that's where i get irritated because just like i'm trying to present an idea you pick up it is useful or not i'm not your uh, uh, what you call as assistant or google machine saying okay explain this this because i mean that learning you can do on your own so that whole thing irritation uh, comes sometimes so you have to be a little uh, show off or like I'm not saying show off or aggressive or arrogant or whatever, but yeah, just basically to eliminate uh, these kind of back and forth uh, interactions, which doesn't add value to anybody, which is time waste to both the people or other people who are involved in the discussion. So, uh, yeah, so that's that may be one of the reasons that I write something like that, or I try to not engage if you keep. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if you keep asking me, uh, okay, do I mean I I. I told some idea, and right? like let's say market is about only day moving average, blah blah. You do this, okay? If you uh, if you can't test it, uh, yeah, fine. You just, um, leave it there. But instead of some guy will say, "No, 
or change that to 30 meter can you test it or i have another strategy can you test it can you help me so this whole thing is yeah i mean it's like it's going nowhere it's nobody's uh, benefiting from the whole excel and so to avoid the i mean sometimes yeah that, that's, that's what it is correct uh, i have a question of my own here you have very vast experience with respect to options and derivatives trading i don't say i am vast experience i just have to take a caution neither i am experienced i'm just learning yeah okay from your experience though which approach should beginners in the market take should beginners even try to start with options trading uh, or if they could sh- start with options uh, which resources would you suggest learning options trading from the right answer would be like work it reverse so why do you want to trade options okay there is a risk reward profile or this now the second thing is um, in fact uh, sorry you also understand the concept of notional capital or whatever so this is how the standard accounting uh, happens right i mean like why does nifty or nse india gives a notional value as the traded figure because there is a reason the reason is it's a standard reporting procedure so now people think i bought a nifty option which is uh, nifty is trading at 11000 so i bought a nifty 11000 at the money call which is only 100 rupees 100 into 75 is okay 8000 rupees so i with 8000 rupees i can trade but the, the, the amount that you are trading is not 8000 there on a notional level it is 10000 into nifty contract size which is 75 so 8 lakhs right so basically your capital deployed there is not 8000 it's 80 lakhs so 8 lakhs the same thing for selling also just because your broker lets you sell if you have a nifty a margin of a lakh or 75000 some of the brokers will let you to sell one option contract so now the whole point is you are not operating at 1 lakh you are and risk of the capital is 8 lakhs that is 1x leverage now you want to leverage it 2x you do the math right so now the whole point is uh, if you have to trade you have to have a sizable capital so what is that sizable capital even um, it's reverse calculation so now let's say uh, the best and best of the traders uh, can achieve 20 25% Uh, returns i mean the the best track record is from uh, either the soros or somebody who has given like 25% annualized returns now you know that he cannot be best or whatever so try to be half best of him which is like okay try to produce 50% 15% returns instead of 25 you are aiming for half now 15% returns is what you can generate if you were trading right how much is your monthly expense or yearly expense it like depends on a number it could be a lakh if you are uh, in a smaller town and it could be like couple of lakhs if you are in a, um, a larger city and because the rent is high and you have something uh, some other expenses then again if you have a kid that number goes up okay fine anyway so you agree on number something like a lakh is what you are Uh, monthly expenses now so yearly you have to make about 12 lakhs so now translate that into 15% or which is eight times so unless otherwise you have a 1 crore capital there is no point you trading you might as well put the whole money in your nifty or 50 in nifty and uh, 50% in some bond funds so you get an average return of 6 to 8% like depending whatever uh, the year it could be 
Mm, yeah, so that that's a reverse answer. So unless otherwise you have a sizable capital, don't even think uh, that you want to trade. You want to trade, especially the short-term trade. Now, when you want to get into the short-term trading, uh, these are your various options, right? Either you trade in option trading or in futures or something. Okay. For those who want to start with options trading, which resources would you suggest to learn from and become strong with fundamentals? Which authors or books would you suggest? The whole thing is again the context that author is approaching the problem and uh, what he wants to tell you. So some guys may not want to tell you the whole truth. The truth in the sense they may be doing some other strategies and they cannot reveal those strategies, so they write at a high superficial. And some guys just may want to do uh, the basic. Uh, so for the basics, uh, this options playbook is a good. So you just know uh, what is an option and where, what is the definition of each option, like start, short standard. So what does it involve? Or some spread you might say, okay, spread is okay, buy at something or something. But again, what I don't like is... Uh, he would have written it for a different market, right? So he might say, this is a bullish strategy, this is a bearish strategy, this and not. So unless otherwise you have a testing ability, I mean, backtest ability on your own market or on your own instrument, then all this becomes, all these books again becomes useless because this is a very simple uh, thing. Uh, the main predominantly your entire Nifty returns from 2002 to 2020 have come if you just buy an update and you exit on the next day, uh, you will capture. Okay, Nifty was at 1000 on January 2000 and it is now at 11,000 plus or minus level. So your average gain is about uh, 10,000 points, right? Hmm. So entire 10,000 points have come if you just buy an update and uh, sell on next day. So buying on down day and selling the next day uh, is not a profit making proportion. Right? The same thing is Exactly reverse for S&P market. So now from S&P uh, was at levels of 1000, now it is trading at 3500. So that's about 2500 point gains. And the same thing, if you buy on a down day and sell on the next day, that's where you make profit. So this is exactly the reverse rules than in India. Hmm. So these are like two simple markets and you think there are two stock markets and they should behave the same way, right? And whereas they behave exactly opposite. So now, yeah, so if you pick up an American author book, he would be writing, if he's really trying to reveal strategies with back tests and everything, right? So if you test them in Indian market, they behave exactly opposite. So, but yeah, but as in point, I would say options playbook. Then there is this few of these volatility books by one Sinclair, so that you can uh, do. Then this Nate Schattenberg or somebody, right? So that's uh, tries to explain some of the volatility concepts. Okay. This is great, actually. Uh, by the way, one thing I uh, ask people who come on the podcast is uh, about their uh, failures. Uh, so along those lines, what has been your biggest failure in the market? So what do you consider your biggest failure in the market? Or even uh, which period was the most stressful in the market and uh, how did you navigate that? What kind of lessons did you take away from that kind of a failure or a phase? There's nothing. Uh, see, now 
I'm more or less emotionless when it comes to trading. So nothing scares me. But one of the toughest period to trade was in 2011 August. Not this. Mm. Any of the recent periods, because the recent periods you could have avoided if you had like little market filter or some any filters. But 2011 was a mm, 2011 August. That was the most uh, painful period. So one lesson from there is. Uh, yeah, unless, uh, I mean, like, unless otherwise you were well-equipped. Well-equipped means your leverage is under control. So 2011, what happened is there was not a big update where you want to exit your uh, positions. And it kept on going down, down, down for about 10 days in a row. That is because of your previous debt downgrade. That was okay. and uh, whereas this coronavirus thing, right? at least you got a hint. So you might as uh, even if you got on a wrong foot in the first few days, but you got like few quick updates and then you could have just adjusted. The same thing in 2018, uh, December when uh, US stock market kept going. It's not like there are enough of warnings earlier, but after three or four days of deep uh, into the down, right? So you know that it's not working and your signals also might be like failing. So you might want to reduce the leverage. Uh, but a brutal period was 2011 August. Even in 2008 October, uh, you could have gotten away because they're quite a big. Because I'm long only trader, that's another stuff. So, uh, <coughs> yeah. So you. So you never, uh, you never short the market. No. Okay. Because the money is to be made on the long side, but not on the short side. Most of okay. our short signals come. Um, whatever you define as a beer market before some below some moving average or below some percentage threshold from the recent highs or whatever. Right? So that's whatever, that's where your bearish signal starts coming. Now the whole problem with the bearish signals is on one couple of nasty updates will come where you see the headlines like short covering or whatever. So there's no way that you could have avoided because if you have to take uh, profits on the short side, you have to also participate on the short covering days. So now uh, that gives you a bad feeling, a bad feeling in the sense market is going up for no reason or everybody is making money, but uh, you are like caught in the wrong foot, which is short covering, right? So that gives you a bad feeling so that's the reason i don't do long so now i'm long uh, if market goes up i also make some money if market goes down yes i lose money but at least digestible because market is going down i'm going down okay because everybody is losing i'm also losing it's fine but market going up and i'm not making uh, i'm losing money forget about making money that happens only to the short sellers because this Short covering day is very nasty. I and mean, again, if you go back and look, all the short covering keeps happening in uh, your bear market periods, which is like defined by whatever measure you take, either below a certain moving average level, below a certain thing, or below a certain percentage uh, down threshold from the recent highs or whatever. I mean, basically, all the big updates comes in uh, those periods. So, yeah, so there's no risk reward uh, that is in favor for the shorting so that's okay during the march april time when the market went down you were completely out of the market uh, i mean completely in cash 
Yes, in US, uh, we are complete out of the market. In India, we had only our index positions on. Okay, index long. Yeah, we do. Uh, like, let's say we have a hundred rupees. So we know that we don't have edge, right? So we have to deploy some capital. So what is that capital? Again, we arrive at some optimal allocation, blah, blah. But forget all that uh, math behind it. But we would have put 50% uh, where uh, we think we don't have edge. So that 50% or 50 of the money will be going on to our nifty indexing method. Again, what I mean by indexing is instead of buying nifty ETF, I would have uh, done which are closer to the nifty index behavior, like maybe a basket of stocks, maybe a basket, uh, yeah, basically a basket of stocks. So I would run that, but I wouldn't be running any of my uh, trading stocks. I think I have edge because the edge would be showing it as a failing. So you run out of, you get out of all your short-term trading adventure in that period where you either uh, the signal start crashing, bearish or short, short or whatever. Mm, yeah, so you completely come out the market. Right. And uh, one particular thing actually stood out to me. Uh, you had commented that technical indicators and technical analysis don't work and that you are not a fan of them. Have you tested majority of the indicators and uh, in your tests, have they proven to be unsuccessful? So we have uh, uh, this POSTAT um, backtesting engine, right? <clears throat> so yeah. what it does is, uh, it has about uh, 40 plus indicators and about uh, various combinations, combinations like you take your RSA, right? RSA above 70, RSA below 30, like that. So those combinations would be some number. So if you multiply that matrix, that matrix comes to 400 odd indicators or 400 odd parameters or whatever you could call. Now that and you mix uh, the same thing so rsi above 70 and then you pick a second parameter which is like moving average above or below something so now your matrix is 400 into 400 so that's about 16000 or let's say 10000 now this 10000 library you are uh, comparing against each and every stock and etf in us so they are like about uh, 2000 uh, highly traded stocks in US. So now your matrix is 2000 into 10,000 and again, various exit criteria. So we basically test about a 20 million back test every day. And then I try to score them like based on, okay, look me, tell me what are the highest profit factor, risk reward, blah, blah, all this stuff. So you narrow it down. Uh, from a 5 million base down to, uh, let's say you want to narrow it down, right? So you narrow it down to 100 best. Now, if you look at those 100 best, right? So all it would have shown you is a very simple, like okay, price down by 5%, this Apple stock or something else, something else. And it's all out of those 100 uh, top parameters or I mean top patterns, which you think are a highest profit factor, these, that and all, everything favorable, right? 80 of them are very, very simple based on this price. So either price up, price down, or uh, how much price is down, or how much price is, or maybe 20-day high, 20-day low. 
except a few of the um, technical indicators so sometimes this rsi comes or cmf something like that but macd was never coming or your candlesticks they never come this is we are testing about a 5 million back test and I, uh, that 5 million i'm cutting short to top 100 right so in the top 100 if something is working uh, they should also come right like a macd if it is working it should come but i have seen macd coming in uh, like every day i run that program so every day i keep observing so every day i want to search for macd it never comes in even one in 30 days or one in 50 days so and this has been the same case uh, for the last 4 years or 5 years when we build that engine and we take all that statistics and we observe them so and uh, yeah so it's um, yeah it's like yeah at least okay they are quantifiable number one but they don't behave uh, the way that textbooks are written and when you put stringent back test none of the indicator works so you stick to simple things simple thing is like price of price down or uh, where the market is high like or how big the move which is like percentage based or whatever range based things like that so yeah the whole thing is yeah the simpler things works these technical indicators it's just a fancy like yeah, you have like multiple bunch of indicators and if you put them on back test lines nothing comes on top that is actually a great insight uh, i have one last question If someone wants to pursue uh, being a fund manager or a trader as a profession, what would be your advice to them? This uh, depends. Like, it depends in the sense. First, you need to get a grip on the basic stats. The second thing is uh, a a programming language or a good understanding on um, how do you program. So either it could be Excel or it could be Python or whatever. Now, because you are young, so you can afford to learn Python. if not okay at least learn excel and uh, have a basic understanding of stats and then uh, you basically read how to back test which is what is the statistics right and then as i said there is tons of material on the websites so you just observe them and you test how do you learn how to test uh, that would be your approach uh, now if you are like want to really get into a proper career then you have to do a either ms in finance uh, whatever that uh, the cfa or various courses right? so, but that is because um, the normal mutual funds or whatever they take those where i reserve i mean those educational background so now otherwise you go and do um, a little advanced math or advanced physics because that's what the favor by top notch hedge funds so they prefer taking candidates from outside uh, finance background so yeah i mean like what is the purpose that you are coming your your purpose is to learn and trade on your own yeah then you learn some statistics uh, and then uh, uh, fiddle around uh, back test models and try to get your own creative mindset or if your purpose of coming into market is trying to get employed into some of these funds yeah then you have to follow a different path yeah makes sense uh, um, how can people get in touch with you are you active on twitter dms or uh, would you prefer people emailing you you can use my email id which is pastchat@gmail.com i would be very responding okay. but i will try to respond if there is any intelligent 
conversation or something like that anyway uh, thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and sharing all this valuable information with us kora uh, uh, it's been a very uh, useful session and uh, i've learned a lot personally from this uh, conversation so uh, thank you once again thanks thanks sir yeah thanks hey guys uh, just a quick word uh, i hope this uh, session was informative to you and uh, you found some value out of it and uh, if you want to be updated for the next and uh, further upcoming episodes on this podcast or videos that i'll be putting out uh, click on the subscribe button and share this video share this podcast episode with your friends if you found it useful and click on the bell icon just so that youtube updates you and uh, whenever the next episode or next video comes out okay all right then you guys have a great time uh, until the next episode it's um, shravan signing off